0: Good morning everyone. Happy Sabbath. <clears throat> it's been a while since I preached here. I think the last time was December. So it was funny because Pastor, Pastor Clark emailed me a list of dates um, to preach and I was like, I can't do any of them. You'll have to wait till next quarter. So he finally, I've been also pre-booked for December, so way in the future as well. Um, I'm just going to open with the word of prayer, so if you bow your heads with me. Hey God, thank you so much um, that I get the privilege to come up here and share your word. Uh, Lord, may what I'm about to say be blessed by you, um, be anointed by you, and also may it touch the lives of people here. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, in one of my previous sermons here, I disclosed my shameful, shameful addiction to Married at First Sight. Now, you all be pleased I've been cured. I didn't watch last season. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. But while we're talking about shames, um, there's another TV show that I have watched since its beginning, which is I I, I like to think it's helped me in my job. Brad, it's really my job. It's Grey's Anatomy. Um, I have kids coming and be like, Miss, my leg hurts, and I was like, I can chop it off. I've watched at least four episodes of them doing that, and they're like, No, it's fine. Um, but I've watched it I've watched it um since since the beginning and you ever do something that it's like it's been this long, you may as well just keep going. So I'm on season nineteen. Don't start it if you haven't watched it, it's a trap. Um Like Married at First Sight. And um there was an episode called uh, Legacy last season, and it was talking about how um doctors when they discover a new surgery technique or it used to be when they discovered a new disease but then they stopped doing that they could name it after themselves so all these medical techniques and surgery techniques out there are named after them they leave this kind of legacy the other day I was watching a uh, comedian and he um, his name's Adam Hills I don't know if you guys have seen Adam Hills he's pretty amazing he has uh, one foot Uh, He wears a prosthetic, he's very open about it, he was born that way. And he's very uh, much an advocate for the uh, disability community. And every show that he does, he always has a deaf interpreter there. And one of the things he loves to do is just say words to make the deaf interpreter sign them because it's funny. During one show it was his birthday and so uh, the audience had asked if they could sing happy birthday to him and he said no, it's going to be too expensive because back then happy birthday was copyrighted. It's why in movies you never saw people sing Happy Birthday. They would sing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow or they'd make up their own birthday song. It's because it costs way too much to have that 20 seconds in there. And so one of the deaf people in the audience raised their hand, got the attention of the interpreter and asked if they could sign Happy Birthday. And so she got up on stage and she signed Happy Birthday. The entire audience was dead silent. And afterwards, when it comes to, you know, in the Happy Birthday song, when you say their name, she fingerspelled. out him and then made a gesture of lobbing off her foot because he has one foot and that became his deaf name was just this which he thought was hilarious but it was also reminding me of, uh, of a movie that won uh, best picture recently called uh, CODA stands for children of deaf adults and um, the uh, director wasn't deaf, but all the actors that played deaf people, they were deaf. And she was just really hoping for a deaf name, that they'd come up with a deaf name for her. And just as like, it was like the last day of shooting, and she's like, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And she tripped over something, and all the deaf actors laughed, and that became a deaf name was uh, tripping over it. She was like, no, that's not what I want to be remembered for. Every day at work, I hear my name, except now it's Miss, but when I worked at Centrelink, I always had to say my name for every single phone call. And it drove me nuts. I, hate, I started to hate my own name. But I started to think about um, my, my own name, because like, people go, oh, that's a really nice name. And I go, oh, thank you. I had literally no say in the matter, none whatsoever. My parents did not ask for my consent on my name, which is a shame. Um, I was the only child in my family that was not named after a family member whatsoever, and I am very bitter about it. My older sister is named after my dad's best friend, who is right over there, Um, and my mum, and my nana. Uh, My younger sibling was named after two great-grandfathers, and then the youngest has the same middle name as my father. I was named after Kalia Chamberlain, the baby that was born in jail. My middle name, which I hate with a passion, because it's just spelled weird, is Elise. And for those who watch Sale of the Century, I'm named after Elise Platt, who my dad thought was good-looking. But at a hospital, I'll get Kalia Alice. and I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I was mad, um, and I really wanted, as a kid, I really wanted to pick a different name. And I would pick any name in the world that was on a drink bottle. I just really wanted my name on a drink bottle. My best friends had names on drink bottles. I did not have a name on a drink bottle. But here's the thing about names is that your name starts to be so much more than just a word. So for instance, names can bring lessons. There is a very famous guy named Thomas Andrews. Does anyone know who Thomas Andrews is? No? That's all right. Does the name the Titanic mean anything to anyone? Yeah. Yep. The Titanic, the name means enormous, especially, exceptionally strong and massive, all of which the Titanic was to begin with. It was the greatest ship of its time until it wasn't. Um, And with one major downside and a lesson that is taken today. So Thomas was the designer of the Titanic. He was the one that was like, this boat is unsinkable. Thomas didn't want as many lifeboats that were or as, as they were already on. He actually wanted less because he didn't think it was pleasing to the eye and went against the vision that he had. But this, this legacy wasn't just to have more lifeboats on the ship, but rather everything that happened that night. That, night, that day, they were supposed to have a lifeboat drill, but it was cancelled so that people could attend church. A warning was given by another ship about the iceberg, but the warning never made it to the bridge. Three hours later, they hit the iceberg at 11.40 and the mail room begins to fill with water. Thomas Andrews uh, basically said that, he looks at the damage and he says, you have two hours before the ship sinks. At 12 a.m. on Monday morning, the lifeboats were launched. There were 20, which can fit 1178 people all up. There were more than 2,200 people on board, so women and children were loaded first. At 12.15, nearly 30 minutes later, the first distress call is sounded, and at 12.20, the ship Carpathia receives the message, and they are the ones that come to the aid, but it takes three hours. The musicians are playing to keep everyone's spirits up, and the lifeboats are loaded, but each one doesn't have more than 30 people in it, and they are made to carry 65. One even has 12. At 2.17, a final distress call is sent. At 2.20, the Titanic, which is two hours and 40 minutes after the iceberg is hit, sinks. At 3.30, Carpathia arrives in the area and it takes half an hour for the first lifeboat of people to be pulled onto the ship. By 8.50 a.m., every survivor of the Titanic is on board, all 705 of the 2,200 people. This is one of the greatest disasters in maritime history. And the worst part is, if the equal, it could all have been avoided. If they listened to the warnings, if they put safety over looks, if they rescheduled the drill till after church, if they slowed down, late is better than dead. But they were so concerned with the greatness of their name that that's, that that's what they got, but in a whole different way. Thomas Andrews isn't remembered for much, except that he built the greatest disaster in maritime history. That's his name. We're not going to remember him for the greatest design. We're not going to remember him for that. And the Titanic, the name, instantly people go, oh, that's a really sad story about Leonardo DiCaprio drowning. That's, that's what we remember it for. Does anyone know what their name actually means? Yeah, Sheikah, what does your name mean? Love. Love. In biblical times, children were named after a few different things. Either it was the experience of the pregnancy or the birth, uh, their wants or desires for the child, or the first impression. And we find that a lot in Genesis, but also mainly in the Old Testament. Some biblical names. So Solomon means peace, which makes sense because of the turmoil that Bathsheba and David went through with their first pregnancy. It makes sense that they would name their child something like peace. Jabez means born in pain. Imagine being called Jabez, like, and your mother's calling out, and it's just basically like, nah! just to remind her, like, you know how like sometimes your parents go, I gave birth to you, and you know, bring that up. Uh, imagine being called that. Abaddon means ruin and destruction. Job means persecuted. Bathsheba means daughter of an oath. Hosea named his children Lo Ramaha, which means not loved. Lo-Ami, which means not my people, and Jezreel, named after a place where a massacre occurred. So I looked up the name of, uh, looked up the meaning of my name, and it means keeper of keys, which is ironic because I always lose my keys and my phone and everything. So again, I blame my parents. And here is the thing. The name can change, the, the meaning can change. Imagine that you do something so big that it changes everything. So in Genesis, we meet a family, a husband and a wife, and one day they become pregnant with twins. One is called Heel Grabber, and the other one is called Hairy One, named after their first impression. So if we turn to Genesis chapter 25, and when you're there, make a noise. It's the first book, if you don't know. Genesis chapter 25, verse 29 So, heel grabber or grabs the heel is where we get Jacob and Harry one is Esau. So, this is the story of Jacob and Esau and they have this kind of rivalry and from everything I've seen on social media, it's probably like Prince William and Prince Harry kind of rivalry for those who follow royal news. Um, but basically... Jacob always wanted to be the firstborn, but Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob resented this. And so if we go to verse 29 of uh, chapter 25, and it says, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Man, Esau must have been super hungry. Like I know that when like my kids in the boarding house, like miss, I'm starving, I'm going to die. You ate two hours ago you've still got three weeks, you'll be fine. But he must have been extremely hungry to have gone, I'm going to die anyway, here you go, have it. And um, basically what it meant was that when uh, Isaac died, um, Jacob could get a lot more than, uh, than Esau, but it was also like the responsibilities who would take over the family, um, they were more respected. Uh, it was literally the heir and the spare kind of situation. So then we go to chapter 27, and we go verse 18. And it says, so this is when Jacob steals Esau's blessing. So Isaac is dying. He's got to give the final blessing to the firstborn. And so Esau goes off to uh, prepare the meal that Isaac has requested. And Rebecca, uh, Isaac's wife, has overheard this and went quick I've got all the stuff here for you, Jacob. Let's dress you up like Esau. He's blind. He won't know. Um, here's the food. Prepare it and take it into him. And that's what uh, that's where we find in this, this part, in verse 18. It says, he went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And that's exactly what Isaac does. He gives Jacob the blessing. But in here it says, who is it? Or essentially, you know, what is your name? And he says, I am Esau. I'm your firstborn. Jacob's meaning became less heel grabber and actually turned into straight out deceiver. Ironically, then, he is betrayed by a family member when it comes to having his wife. And then he flees Laban, And his life goes on and he begins to prosper. And then if we go to chapter 32, he goes to meet Esau as he tries to make amends. Now he goes out by sending a messenger ahead of him to tell him that he's rich, that Jacob is rich and he will give it all to Esau. He'll give Esau anything he wants and essentially... I think he wants to, like, give him his share of the birthright. But he wants to, like, sort of soften him up, being like, look at all this stuff that you can have, all these servants, all these livestock. You, this is all yours. Could you please forgive me because I'm still very, very terrified of you. Because Esau swore that he was going to kill Jacob. In verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to meet your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, he said, you, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mother with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He is he's freaking out. He is absolutely terrified. He knows that his name means deceiver, but here he's starting to sort of go, I know what I've done wrong. You need to help me. And then in verse 24, Jacob's wrestling with with a man. And it says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is big. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God, with men, and have overcome. So it's the second time that Jacob has been asked, what is his name? Now, the first time he says, I am Esau, and he does it to get a blessing, right? Knowing full well that if he says, my name is Jacob, he's not going to get the blessing. His father's going to be like, what are you doing here? You're not the firstborn. So then he's wrestling with a guy, and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, right? And in the Bible, it says he's wrestling with God. And he goes, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then he says, what is your name? And he says, I am Jacob, I am the deceiver. Owning up to everything that he had done. And then God did this amazing thing. He didn't just bless him, he changed his name to Israel. And Israel means God struggled with God, the overcomer. God took something that he was ashamed of, his name, and he gave him something new. There is a country named after him. And while the was from Abraham, Israel is what it is called. When God created humanity, he breathed life into humans. Now, he didn't do that to anything else on earth. The creation story doesn't say, and then he made a cow and he breathed into its nostrils and it came to life. But the creation story in Genesis 1 says specifically that God molded man from the dirt and then breathed life into his nostrils. Now, the Hebrew word for breath is ruach. You want to say that? Ruach. Audience participation is, yep, yeah, cool. Now, ruach is also the Hebrew word for spirit. The Greek word for uh, breath is pneuma which is also the Greek word for spirit. So when we read the Bible and it says God breathed his breath into man, it could also mean that God breathed his spirit into man. We have a part of God living inside of us. And it's interesting because whenever you see the word Lord in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it is in capital letters. The reason for that is because in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And Yahweh is a very interesting word because it's not, it is too hard, it was too hard to say back then, and it's too sacred to say for the Jewish people, so they say Adonai instead, which made for a very confusing Hebrew lesson when I was like, that is not what it says. But the letters, because uh, to make learning Hebrew even difficult, uh, Hebrew didn't have vowels, and it was all like smooshed together. There was no spaces in the original Hebrew. And so scholars have since put the vowels in there, which is where we get the word Yahweh from. But the letters for Yahweh, um, I'm now going to butcher the language. So <laughs> the letters are yod, Hjah, Vav, Uh So pronounce what is written. It's like <laughs> <laughs> They're They're breathing sounds. It's, it's Hebrew's version of vows, except instead of actually making a particular noise, they make a breath noise. So essentially, every time you breathe, you are saying the Lord's name. That psalm, let everything has breath, praise the Lord. When you breathe, you are praising the Lord. That was our first impression. That first breath we took, saying the Lord's name. Now look, these days, um, we are not named after first impressions. Thank goodness for that because I get very nervous when I meet new people. Um, A friend of mine told me that she, my, her first impression of me wasn't actually what I thought was her first impression of me. It was when she was in the junior shed and I was like a leader in the junior shed, and her first impression of me was, "Who gave that girl a microphone? Someone get her off the stage." <laughs> uh, I didn't know that until like six years later, and I was like, oof. wonder what she would call me." But here's the beautiful thing about names and the fact that God's name. Is, is our breath, is that whenever we're having trouble, whenever we're stressed, whenever things aren't going our way, all we have to do is breathe. Cry out to God and he will help us. Cry out to God and if we're in that sort of state where we're so ashamed of our name, where we're so ashamed of what we've done, he will change it for us, put us on a better path. Cry out to God and breathe. Breathe. Jacob was terrified and for good reason. If you've done something so unforgivable where the person has wronged you, has threatened and promised to kill you, and then they find out they're coming to meet you with 400 men, cry out and breathe. God gave you his breath, gave you his spirit. So my question is, what are you going to do with it? What is your name going to be synonymous with? That when people hear your name, they're like, I already can tell you so much about that person based on that one word. So may you breathe. May you make a name for yourself that honors God and lives on in someone for the right reasons. And may God guide you through as you leave a legacy. Just bow your heads and pray. Hey God, thank you so much that you are a forgiving God, that you are a wise God that you gave a part of yourself to us. And so, Lord, as we leave here today, may we make that name for ourselves, but may it be reflective of who you are, that when people say our names, that they go, yes, they are a child of God. Lord, as we leave here, may you guide us through the path that we need to take. And may we always remember to breathe when we are in trouble. In your name I pray, amen.